Cosmic Squirt TV. I'm Jake. I'm your host for this 29 minutes of wacky fun here on Public Access Television. We're here Sunday nights, 12.30 a.m., channel 16. That little spiel like at the beginning of the show has sort of become a format now. I hate the idea that people think that, like, minority groups or queer people or whatever don't have a sense of humor or are weak or, you know, uh, don't like to be made fun of or what. No, no, we just don't like some random asshole telling the same two jokes for 10 years. And like, have you seen trans stand-up comedians? Like, yeah. they're hilarious or, and it's yeah. funny and it's, and the idea that we are being ostracized or like, can, by the way, canceling doesn't work. Ricky Gervais got another special. Dave Chappelle gets another special. You know, the Louis C.K. thing, which, you know, I was bizarrely close to, and I have no problem talking about this now, but it's just like, uh, you know, I got a call on a Sunday morning from the website Jezebel, and they said, hi. And I'm like, how'd you get this number? And they're like, oh, we heard that you have said to women, never be alone in a room with Louis C.K. And I said, I have never said that in my life, but I have an idea of why you're calling. And I said, um, uh, there's a couple of uh, comedians that I know. Um, have they spoken to you? And they said, no. And I said, okay, well, uh, and I did not mention their names. I said, well, until those comedians speak to you, I have nothing to say to you. And I immediately called one of those comedians. I said, if I'm getting a call from Jezebel, Surely you're getting a call from Jezebel. And they're like, yeah, it's a whole thing. We're going to do uh, a New York Times. Uh, first, it was the New Yorker. Would you go on the record as because I just happened to be at the U.S. Comedy Arts Festival about 10 minutes after Louis C.K. had this incident. Everybody in comedy knew about this. There was a party at the US Comedy Arts Festival, I don't remember what year it was, it was the early 2000s. And two comedians came down and they were like, you, you're never gonna believe what just happened. We were just in a room when Louis CK just asked, took his, you know, he did what he did. And, and they were laughing about it. Now I look back on it now, and we were all laughing about it and going, that's gross, how pathetic, ha ha ha. And um, I look back on it now and I see the nervous laughter and uh, and so, yeah, when it, it came time to say, hey, did this happen? Which Louis said, yeah, this did happen. And here's where he really disappointed me. Uh, I thought Louis would go away for a while, come back and then have something to say about it, have something intelligent to say about it. He didn't, he didn't have anything to say about it. Uh, had he had something intelligent to say about it, um, maybe, you know, because I believe that there's a sickness there, you know what I mean? That maybe could have been worked on and, and like, you know, apologies, amends can be made. I believe in that concept of a, of a living amends, uh, but he didn't do any of that. And, but the market is dictated. Uh, so, oh, I'm sorry, Louis can't play Madison Square Garden anymore. He has to do two nights at the theater at Madison Square Garden instead. And like, 
I, I found it really interesting that like uh, he's got this new movie out, which, you know, whatever, maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, but he's forewalling it, you know, he's booking theaters. It's he's, AMC is uh, showing it for a couple of nights, I think through Fathom events. It, it, it can't, this cancel, this idea of canceling is like, yeah, you're going to get a bunch of bad press. Yes, it affected him financially, but in the end, there's still going to be a population of people they're going to want to hear what louis has to say and you know what that's fine that's fine does he still owe people uh, uh, an apology has he changed his behavior i don't know maybe some of that is none of our business but some of it is just like if you if you don't like him uh, i was just like shocked at like his his evasive like what an opportunity for a comedian it's like people always say Richard Pryor, they talk about Richard Pryor, he, you know, he burned himself up, you know what I mean? <laughs> he freebasing and he healed and he got on stage and he talked about it really honestly. And Louis was always talking about Richard Pryor and all this. So he just, he never did that. He's never done it. And, and uh, if he had done that, yeah, I think that would, you know, have made perhaps like he bought his FX show back. And you can buy it now on louisck.com. How worthless is a Emmy award-winning property that they were like, yeah, you can buy it. Like uh, to go from, so, you know, like, and and now he gets a hundred percent of the money. So, you know, he had to buy it back. He's self-financing. You, you find a way. That's the world we live in now. Anybody can make a thing, you know, it's just, you have to, back up the consequences of what you say. And I, who have been in front of a microphone since I was 15 years old, you know, I, I made available to people old episodes of this public access show that I did that turned into an MTV show when I was a teenager. And I look back and I go, oh, what did I say in 1994, 1995 as a teenager? Did I say anything? Did I use words that we don't use anymore? And I was, I'm not here to pat myself on the back, but I, I really just think it was just upbringing and where I grew up and the types of people I was around, but there was nothing. There was nothing. When, so James Gunn, James Gunn gets fired from Guardians of the Galaxy because of some old tweets. And I am in a car. I made a uh, decision to change my behavior around social media around 2016, 2017. Um, and it was not because of anything um, I was worried about, like people digging up old tweets. It was about my relationship to social media. And it was just like, oh, I know why I wrote this tweet and what state of mind I was in when I wrote this tweet. And I don't like this joke, or I don't like this tweet because this is me feeling insecure about myself and looking for validation, or this is a tweet about the Oscars from 2008, who cares? And I just basically deleted a bunch of tweets, not because there was anything problematic, but because I needed to change my relationship of what is on the internet uh, forever? And so I told a couple friends about this and I'm in a car and I start getting all these calls. Hey, what 
software did you use to delete your old tweets? Like three people called me and I'm like, why am everybody calling me about this? I go to a lunch, I come out and I see James Gunn has been fired from Guardians of the Galaxy because of old tweets. And I go, well, that's stupid because first of all, this guy directed trauma films. Disney knew that before they hired him. And eventually he got rehired. Um, and he said, yeah, the old tweets are, are, are bad and stuff, but people do need uh, a moment to uh, evolve and learn and apologize. I think they should be afforded that opportunity. Um, absolutely, I think they should be afforded that opportunity. Um, but, but then you kind of just, you just have to just like, keep going, keep evolving, keep learning. It's really, really simple. Do I think James Gunn made some jokes in, uh, poor taste that would fly? It's like, look at the 40 year old virgin, Judd Apatow, who is a, a good person. And, uh, you know, there is an extended scene, an improv scene between Paul Rudd and Seth Rogen, where they keep going back and forth. Hey, you know, I know you're gay uh, joke. You know, I know you're gay. Anybody involved with that, would they make those jokes today? Absolutely not. You know, and, and an audience roared with laughter uh, uh, at the time that, you know, uh, but I bet you a lot of people didn't. Um, and that's why I'm so excited for Billy Eichner's movie, which is coming out, uh, which I've seen, uh, which is produced by Judd Apatow, because, because it is uncompromisingly Billy Eichner, and it, and it is also a great romantic comedy, like you haven't seen since like You've Got Mail or, or like just, but, and it just happens to have an all LGBTQ plus cast, but it's just, that's, that's a side note. That's, you know, fine. You can use it for marketing. Interrupting at this point to say that my audio completely eats it here for no particular reason whatsoever for about 45 minutes. So sorry about that. <laughs> There's not much I can do. Um, still, you can hear me and uh, Jake's audio is perfect. So yeah, God, that sucks. Can't believe it has taken a studio this long. I'm so glad Billy is the person. And you're going to see it, but it's so uncompromisingly Billy Eichner. And it is also just a great romantic comedy. It's just a great romantic comedy in the tradition of the like Nora Ephron romantic comedies, but with Billy Eichner's sensibility. And to not lose Billy's cutting sensibility through the studio process is such an amazing thing. You know, I, I watched it with you know a bunch of Billy's friends we went to a screening as uh you know a lot of us we just hadn't seen it and we, it, we were so you know first you're you're watching a movie and you're excited because it's like oh it's Billy in a movie and then five minutes in we're not watching our friend anymore we're watching the character and totally invested in the story and I just think it's I I hope it makes the hundred million dollars that it deserves to make because um, it's just going to be good for comedy to see a movie like that again. And, 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 um, and it's just so funny. I think though, that like what you're talking about with comedy and like, you know, these high level comedians who are doing jokes that you could see at any open mic 
and comedy as modern day philosophers, like it, 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 my upbringing was such that, at, you know, I grew up in New York City and like when I was seven years old, um, you know, my father gave me complete access to New York City. So we would walk by people protesting silence equals death signs. And I would say, dad, why are they so angry? And my dad said, they're sick and people will not help them because they are gay and, and it's very wrong. And so when you're seven and you walk by, you know, I could have walked by Larry Kramer for all I know. Um, and you experience that and you take that in and you go, you know, I just, some stuff just doesn't make sense to me. And, you know, we used to go to the duplex, you know, <laughs> you know, whatever you think about um, a kid. Um, and my father is just, it was a straight guy, um, but he enjoyed the atmosphere at the duplex of people singing show tunes and then, you know, and I would go with them and, and he wasn't drinking and I wasn't drinking. And it was, it was just so much fun. And, and just being around that um, from such a young age, there are some things that are just like totally unfathomable to me that people would treat other people who could be like, I don't understand it. I'll just say, if I had a billion dollars and created Harry Potter, I would find different things to do with my time than argue on Twitter about gender. That is, but that's just me, you know. Um, it, it, it boggles the mind. Yeah, no, I, I think a lot of people would hope that if if they had a billion dollars, they just wouldn't do that. What uh, I find tragically funny about that specific situation is that like she had all the goodwill in the world and literally everyone when this shit first started with jk rowling was like oh hey you, you know you might be misunderstood or you know you, you maybe don't understand this and she just i i think that harry potter will, will still be read by kids and i think that the movies will still be seen it's just now we have this extra thing you know parents have this extra thing that they're gonna have to deal with of like oh yeah and the woman who wrote it happens to be a lunatic on this issue and you know what okay good then we can have that conversation and it's good but it's it's really gonna be disappointing for that you know, gay, trans, non-binary, you know what I mean? It sucks when your heroes are shitty. You know what I mean? It just sucks. It just sucks. And, you know, um, but I, I, I think that, you know, it, 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 baffle, it baffles me sometimes because I just go through, and obviously I am, a straight Jewish male, and I have all the privileges that come with that. But um, I, and I, and I am surrounded by a community of really cool, good people uh, for the most part. 
But every once in a while, somebody says something and, you know, I remember years ago, just like being out with a bunch of guys and they were just doing, I guess, guy talk and talking about some woman and saying that they were crazy. I was like, well, don't, crazy is such an easy word to use. It's such an easy word to use to just say, you know, this, this woman is crazy. It's just like, there's other stuff probably going on that we don't know about. And like, it's almost a pejorative when you use it, and you, you know, like, like, and, and I was met with pushback. And, and I guarantee you, I got those same group of guys together today. They're all in comedy. They would, the conversation would go different because they've evolved and they're on a constant sort of journey to learn and evolve just that particular table of people yeah and then i know some people are just dumb fucks you know <laughs> by the way at this point i mentioned this is usually not how the show goes um i got like a list of questions and i haven't oh ask, ask i haven't asked any of them but i've just been enjoying the chat um yeah, I, I like to talk to you. Yeah, me too. Um, but I think there's some there's some like intrinsic part of me which is like I should I should show off the thing I just I did for this show. Uh, Please, yeah, which is like that I mentioned in the pitch that it was about like you know reflection. We are doing that, but there there is questions, and I guess I should ask them. Uh, which is question one is what are the three things you value most in life? What a great question because that has really um shifted for me uh recently in a way that uh i never expected if you were to ask me that question a, a decade ago i would have had a very different answer the three things that i uh value the most in life i think first is um got to be family um i have a small but weird little family um and i love them very very much and they love me very much and you know um i got married in october of 2020 during the pandemic um whole ceremony took we always wanted a small wedding it was planned we were uh, we were going to do courthouse or Vegas, but and ended up being a weird office in Encino. Um, whole thing took three minutes, um, but we had been together for years, and 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 so um, that you know changes your perspective on things. And I got a mother-in-law and a brother-in-law, and I lost my uh, father this year. My mom had a uh, operation but very routine but it was uh, she came out okay she's recovering great um so family family is like that's the it's a it's a really trite um and <laughs> normal answer uh but that is that's the most important thing the second thing i think i value the most is um individuality um when I've been asking myself these questions uh, a lot lately of like, you know, what did you want to do when you were a kid, when you grew up? And like, it was like, I didn't want to write on family ties when I was like seven years old. I was writing letters to John Waters and, and watching John Waters movies and, 
and he called me you know and just the idea of like doing your own thing being your own person whoever that is um and 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 doing it in a way that doesn't hurt anybody's feelings doesn't you know ho hopefully you don't rub anyone the wrong way but you are at least being true to yourself that i think is the second most important and then the third most important thing um is probably culture whatever that means to you music movies art um because that is the world that i exist in um i am so lucky to exist in a world where you know i have a career at this point and um i am it may not be always how i want to do it but i'm always probably going to be able to make a living doing some form of art you know it may not be uh a hundred percent of the time the art i uh, want to do but like that is a real gift a lot of people don't get that they um have they do their art and then they have to do something else for money and then the fourth most important thing is money i value money um it's good to have it's better to um have it than to not have it <laughs> but the first three things will uh, sometimes get in the way of uh, making it <laughs> i that's three things i find that yeah those answers because i ask myself these questions you know all the time um because that these initially started as a way for me to like introduce expert uh, this show was about uh, bringing on scientists and historians to speak about what their specialty was and i found out quickly that the the 10 questions which aren't 10 anymore there's way more of them but um they were the most interesting part because everyone kind of picks their brain but they became almost a meditative exercise for me every single time answering them because i don't the three things I value, if you listen back to each episode of this show, they change all the time when people ask me them. Right. They, that's that, that's that makes sense, because I would feel my answers could probably change tomorrow. But, you know, in this moment, yeah, on, on this day, this is these are the things that I am valuing the most. And I've had and I've had guests. That's good to like go back and listen to their own episodes like six months down the line and shoot me a message on Instagram being like, I can't believe I said that. Like, I don't care about this thing anymore. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, a lot of stuff I don't give a shit about um, anymore. And it's good to have a record. I, I record myself um, when I'm not doing the show. I record, I, I do a little voice note to myself and I answer these questions where I'm like, well, what do I, at the present moment, I mean, like, health is a huge thing that i value um oh yeah having of course i think i've been working out i'm gonna go on my own fucking detour here um I, I think i've been trying to work out uh there's this book my friend has been telling me about uh called the equation of happiness which essentially tries to work out like what are the metrics that we have to fit in or we have to fill in our lives to be happy 
And I tried to work out my own equation of like, what does happiness mean? Because I have not been happy for a while. Um, mm. And I'm like, what do I need to do? And there's the, there's a terrible trope about like, you know, some sort of torture. I'm looking for my answers. Um, um, yeah, there it is. Um, there's this awful trope that you need to be suffering to create something in art and no, bullshit. not true. Yeah. Bullshit, 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 man. But I hate that. I, I hate it too. And um, I think this question in particular prompted me to go, well, well, what, what are the things? If I had to make an equation, if I could sit down, if, if happiness was just based on filling needs, what do you need? And I think I said like basic needs, like you need your food, water, nice place to sleep. You need that. Um, yes. You need a regular interaction with strong, like pro-social relationships. Like you need to go down to the shop and for the guy behind the counter to not be an asshole. You need you, you're, to know your yes. neighbor in a way that like, you know, you can wave at them in the morning or they can pick up a package for you. Pro-social relationships that build community in some way, shape or form. Um, and regular ones, like the pandemic took that away from everyone. It took that away from me where I don't have a community. I have a community, but I don't, you know, it's, that's not in person. They're all 5,000 miles away in the U S and I'm here like, Oh, well, you know, there's, and even if you, you know, it's like, I have a, I know everybody, this is how I feel. It's like, I, I know everybody and, you know, but I think that there, everybody, you know, has a phone and they have some contacts in it and there's no worse feeling in the world. And I think everybody experiences this feeling where they look through their phone and they're like, I am alone right now and I feel bad. I feel bad. And I'm looking through and who can I call to talk about this with? And the phone can weigh a thousand pounds and it'll be like, there is no one I can talk to about this and fighting through that and, um, and either making the phone call or just changing, changing the brain, taking a walk outside, whatever it is, is, is such a challenge sometimes. It's such a challenge because um, it's not true. It's just a trick that our, our, our brain, I, I, I deeply relate to, you said all your friends are 5,000 miles away. When I lived in New York City, I've lived in Los Angeles now for a decade, but it felt like everybody I knew had moved to Los Angeles. I was the last person left in um, New York and everybody had moved to LA and through social media, I was experiencing all of these people. I, and, and it seemed like everybody was in LA and happy and friends and together. And, um, uh, and some of that is true. But some of it was really not true. And uh, <laughs> I mean, there is the magic thing of being a part of like Upright Citizens Brigade from the earliest of days. And there was a hundred of us and we all get to do this for a living at various degrees of success. Some of us enormously successful, some of us, but we're all making a living and doing this. And there's, and we're all still friends. Like some, like there's no, like, you know, closer than some are closer than others, but like, it, like there's that, that'll never happen again. I mean, maybe it will, but it, 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 it 
it'll be a different thing. It was to, to have that and be a part of that is very special to me. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I know, I know what you're talking about in terms of just like, just basic, just community, you know, and the pandemic if, if, brutal. If you're alone, even if you are alone and your friends are 5,000 miles away, having a neighbor say hi to you, change everything. It's your day, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think the most important one, when I was ruminating in my mind, um, because I, mean, I was talking to you before this interview started, I've had a bad month and um, I I needed to try and sort this out. You know, I needed to, to get something out of it <laughs> to extract from bad experience, something good, something I could synthesize. And the, the one the thing that I kept coming back to, the one thing that I was like, when, when I'm feeling low, what do I, what am I missing? And I think it's, I wrote down here, I wrote, I wrote down a message to my friend. I was like, I, I need to tell someone. Uh, connection with something that has like an intrinsic motivation to it, like a long-term project or a desire. And that doesn't mean anything until I say like, I don't want to go to work just so I don't have to start. You know, I want yes. to go to work because I'm building something or I have a dream. And I think- Doing new new goal like whatever it is like and this is where i'm at right now it's just sort of like all right what do i want to do next i've never been in this position before where it's just like okay what do i want to do next i i you know am uh i'm a married guy with a kid on the way things seem to be going well with that thank goodness and um but um I don't have to take a job right now if I if I I've never been in this position, and it does sort of put you in a and it's, and it's, I'm very grateful to be in the position, but it does put you in a sort of like a time to set some new goals. I you know remember like you know as recently as like 2014, it was just like all right on paper, well I got this done, I got this done, I got this done. Why am I not happy? Why am I not happy? And it's like, oh, idiot, because you forgot about this other important component, you know, which is someone to share, you know, things with. And like, and then you, what are you going to go out and find that person? You, you know, and then it, it it did not happen in 2014. A couple of years later, when I was least expecting it, you know, least wanting it, is when I met my wife, <laughs> and. Um, but yeah, a uh, long time ago, I remember this, gosh, Ian Roberts from the Upright Citizens Brigade, who I guess people might know him. He was the head writer, showrunner of Key and Peel, and he's an actor, um, he's a tremendous guy. But he said very wisely in a improv class in the late 90s, early 2000s, he said, you know, turn your dreams into goals and try to make those goals realities. Now, I don't know if Ian is the first person to say those words, but he said them and I heard them. And that's sort of kind of where I, I kind of try to get to where it's like, um, all right, you did that, now what? And, and you don't have to have an answer for that immediately 
you know, the, like the big, like, like whatever it's like, I like to have a couple things going at once, you know, I too, during the pandemic, you know, started doing a podcast and like, I, for me to start a podcast, sure. I call up Earwolf. I could call up Sirius XM. I, you know, and I didn't, I said, no, I want to do this myself. I don't want to go through a development process. I don't want to even have a meeting. I just want to turn on a microphone and start. And I did. And there's, you know, and I have, uh, and I did, I'm now up to a hundred episodes and, and then a hundred bonus episodes. And, you know, what did I do during the pandemic? It's just like, well, first of all, I wrote a, I was, I'd owed a script, like I had sold a, a, a TV show to a network and did the pitch, did the outline and stuff. And it was uh, March 15th. They're like, hey, uh, okay, great. This looks great. Go write the script. And that was March 15th, 2020, which was, uh, if you recall, that was the day that it was like, no, there's a virus out there. It's uh, called the coronavirus and uh, it's serious and you're going to need to stay in the house. So I was like, okay, so I, I better, you know, write the script. By the time I got finished writing the script, I was like, I don't want to make this show. You know, <laughs> I was like, I don't really don't, I really don't want to make this show. Um, and, you know, and they paid me for the script. I said, thank you very much. And, and, uh, and then, and then the, you know, odd things happened, you know, it was like, Jimmy Fallon called me. I was like, Hey, you come work on the tonight show. And I was like, what? I've never done that. Well, sure. Why not for three months? And I did it for three months just to see what it was like and you know and it was fun and then i was like and then it was like oh, i don't want to do this anymore i was working from la it was amazing to do that from los angeles um and and i said i don't just i just want to be a writer i don't want to be treated differently because we're friends or whatever i just want to just do it like everybody else and it is a an incredibly difficult job very specific thing to do and really nice people one of the nicest groups of people I ever worked with, but I was just like, okay, well, I don't want to do this, you know? <laughs> and I also, I don't want to move to New York and, you know, run a, the tonight show, you know, <laughs> and help. It's just like, um, it's, it's odd times. It's odd times, fun times. Do so you, exciting. Do, do you find that maybe this is just me, but I get this impression sometimes that I have too many things I want to do like I have this show which I've been working on and off I take like hiatuses on it because I'm just it's just a hobby so I do it when I can and when I have the mental energy but like I have this like I love interviewing people so what is that dream like I have people that I want to interview that I will never ever get to interview in my entire life I will never even get close and yet oh you know you don't know you don't know that I I don't, but by the time I would ever build up a sort of acumen to be able to do that, um, they will probably be dead. <laughs> so, okay, you got. Time. I understand that because I'm going to say your acumen is there already. Oh, so, um, I do a lot of these, and um, you're a great effort. This is effortless. Thank you. But, um, but I understand what you're saying. 
What's going on? I got a few questions for you guys, okay? So we'll just, uh, the first one is, uh, why did you name the new album Liquid Swords? It's called Liquid Swords because the tongue is symbolic to the sword. And we as lyrical swordsmen make sure our lyrics are very sharp. See, the tongue is symbolic to the sword and when in motion it produces wind. Like when you speak, you hear you hear all that wind. Mm -hmm. That's woo. See, the woo is the sword that's swinging across your neck. Right. So, and words are like water sometimes. The wisdom is like water because it could come in many different currents. So we call it liquid swords because the swords are so sharp. Sometimes you don't even feel them hit your neck. So, are there, are there any any of the members of the Wu Tang Clan real ninjas? Ninjas as far as what? You know, ninjas as far as like, and they kick people. And then I mean, knock. not in that sense. A ninja is just a person that, that works in ways where no one knows where he's coming or how he's going to hit. I guess we can classify ourselves as being ninjas in that sense, but we don't go around wearing black suits and things over our eyes and our <laughs> face and swinging actual metal swords and walking with little slip slipper shoes on and kung fu shoes and things of that nature. Lou does that. You got it. You got it. Oh, yeah? yeah. More power to him. <laughs> the reason why I think that I wanted to do this is because I have a very precise idea of what it means. I've not, I've not used any of my questions, whatever. Um, I have a very precise idea of what it means to be a good interviewer because I'm not the important person here. It, it, that doesn't mean that I don't talk or that I'm very quiet. I think early on in my interviewing, I was very punitive in my editing that I just didn't talk about myself, but it's, I am just, an interview is about the person and it's not about how, oh, what was it like to work with blah? I, I hate the studio interview, as I like to call it, the sit down on a chair across from some asshole and answer three stock questions that translate into six different languages about promoting a movie. That's feels boring. Very, feels very dated and of, yeah. another, uh, of another time now that we do have sort of these long form conversations, podcasts, it, 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 it does feel a little out of place in these times that we live. It, do, it does. And also, I, I hate the term podcast. This is another pretentious yeah, it's, thing. It's I, a, I use the term internet radio show because I'm an I, asshole. I just say show. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you. This it, podcast has a weird diminishing connotation that it shouldn't have. It shouldn't it, have, but it, it does. does. It does. And, and because everybody has one. But um, but but go on. What you're saying is very interesting to me. Uh, I you're I, right. I feel like the the way I do uh, and the reason why I wanted to do this idea, if I ever if I ever did a late night, which is a crazy thing to say, uh, it it would have to be something that is disconnected from the way we do news, because the news is everything everywhere all at once to take that movie title it is constant news that like you you don't need to be like an ostrich in the sand so but the you do of the sketch show would be that it is it, it's 20 years old or 20 yes. years okay so that, from... i actually have never heard that um conceit before as a a, a sketch oh. show idea i really have never heard it it's very very funny um and a very good idea um uh, there's a ton of fun to be had with that um and um i, I think it's something you know you could you know just start making the sketches you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> just start. like make stuff. i want 
I want it to be like a late night, but it's not a late because it's 20 years old. So like, what could you even talk about? But you have like the modern actors, right? The, the, but playing the, their 20 year old selves. So you have like your Will Ferrell's coming on, but he's talking about the release of Anchorman and like it like really, I, do you know who I think does interviews really, really well? Um, I think Zach Galifianakis does interviews really well because they're not boring. They don't talk about nothing. I hate interviews that talk about nothing because like I have questions here. I'm just going to read off a couple of them because we want to have time to get to them. But what uh, I would just say, I'd say one thing about Zach Galifianakis is, you know, Zach had a a, a late night talk show for a short period of time. Yeah, it's called Late World with Zach Galifianakis. It was on VH1. And Zach was, uh, you know, as out there and as Zach Galifianakis, like if you were to told me, you know, back in, I don't know, 2002, hey, Zach Galifianakis as himself, not changing himself at all, is going to be the biggest movie star, one of the biggest movie stars in the world. I would have been like, what? That's insane. But he's great. And um, but yes, your questions, your questions. But he did do a talk show and it's uh, he did some weird stuff on it. Yeah. Like, I don't think if if I had the space, I would be asking people about their newest movie. Um, (laughs) Because imagine imagine that just just for a second, take is that I I am appreciating the fact that I get to be just pretentious about interviewing. So Um, imagine someone has of their own free will, of their volition, giving you their time, right? Yes. This, this precious thing, which by the way, every second we have is, uh, and the stoic sense, memento mori, you are going to die. So each second is precious. And you use 20 minutes of a person's life to ask them about how it is to work with a different person. <laughs> what sort of moronic asshole do you have to be to waste someone's especially it happens a lot with women actors oh, like, yeah. oh my god what was it like to work with chris evans he's so dreamy ha. and i love the actresses that go you know they play along with the conceit you know oh you know having those meatheads around just being like no that's a stupid question the question like here are the questions i and i'm i'm allowed to to be a little bit braggadocious and say these are good questions i like them what? i ask I ask things like, what if anything is perfect? That's a better question than fucking, you know, what do you think about wh- how people are going to respond to your new movie? And people will watch that and people have engaged with that and they've said, I know more about the person that I support now because of that. Um, and like, that's the thing, my one criticism of, of Late Night is that it always does kind of play, but it has to, to get these yeah, people it's, on the it's, show. It's part of a, um industrial complex. It's a promotional machine. It, it does what it, it does. And, it, and, um, and there's no changing that. And, 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 and I don't think it needs to, you know, necessarily uh, be changed or shaken up. It's like, you know, James Corden is quit. And they're like, who's going to replace Corden? And I'm like, probably, who, who says anybody has to replace James Corden? It's like CBS could decide, you know what? We don't need to spend money at 1230 and do uh, anything. They could do something totally different or they put another uh, white guy in. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. uh, but what I, you know, but it, it, it's sort of a dying thing. You know, James Corden has had tremendous success and as uh, because of the internet things that he's done. Uh, 
and and also it's just a likable person and stuff but yeah people now have other places like to go to for a long form interview you know and and, and that is uh podcasts even the things that like david letterman you know has the the interviews that he does five or six a year on uh netflix and thought are put into his questions and into the production of those segments that you know he's doing that because he was he got out of late night when he saw the first of all at the right time and uh, like he saw this is going to become totally internet driven i don't know how to do that i don't want to do that and i i still want to engage and talk to people but it doesn't have to be every night in this promotional cycle sort of landscape that like that i, I don't have to do that anymore there's, you know, we're sitting here right now because technology has gotten to such a place where we can. So what we do with it is uh, the, the possibilities are infinite and it's just, you have to be interesting. I'm so lucky that every person I've had on this show has taken the conceit of the show, which you haven't seen, but <laughs> you are taking it anyway. Um, and runs with it where it's just like oh so we're not I, I don't have to lie like I don't have to pretend like I promote something I can just answer you You just want to know about me like that's it yeah. I, I don't have to promote a movie and I'm like yeah you just you just, just you you are the most interesting person right now tell me everything like I, I asked like what's a memory that shaped you uh, or how do you feel about death you're not going to find that and I want that. I don't want to be the only person that does that. And I'm not the only person. Like you have Duncan Trussell, who is an amazing interviewer. You have David Letterman, whose show is really, really good. And there's a reason why it's called My Next Guest Needs No Introduction, because we yeah. know the people, but, and the questions that, the questions that are being asked are important and they're meaningful. And these are the questions that are meaningful to me, but they're not the only meaningful questions. And I'm not, I don't want to sit down and like shit on, on, on late night or whatever, but like. No, it's just, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a thing that exists and is in an interesting period of time, just as, as the media landscape is changing and, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, it's been done the same way sort of for like 50 years. And it's in an in all of for all the shows across all the shows. It's it's interesting as it, as it shifts away from, you know, being, you know, I, I don't fall asleep at twelve thirty every night watching, you know, a late night talk show, you know, like I used to. And I think that you know there are some people that do, but they're dying. <laughs> they literally are dying. The people that do that. So it, 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 this is not that. This is not that, and that doesn't have to be this. And in and 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 late night is its own uh, world. And it's like take somebody like Z-Way, who is using some of the uh, late night uh, tropes and doing a very interesting um, comedy show with it. You know, and it, it's it's interview style, but there's so much more going on and. You know, but there's some, certain things just work. You know what I mean? One person talking to another person works. <laughs> yeah, it does. I, I meant to say it to you before we got cut off. The way that Irish, um, I think I'm spoiled a little bit because 
We do have that late night. We have the Late Late Show, which is it, it was licensed to James Corden's show, which is why mm -hmm. it's called the same thing. And that's why, actually, I don't know if you've noticed at the start of the Late Late Show, um, there's an owl because the owl used to be the, the icon of the Irish Late Late Show. Oh, cool. Um, which is a fun fact that most people don't know. But our we had a guy called Gabriel Byrne uh, as the host of the Late Night Show in Ireland. And what Late Night means for me what it means as opposed to how it is and this is kind of how older late night was but not so much is that like we had debates on um like abortion and gay marriage on the show we had people the whole point of it was you bring on guests that are part of our society but aren't just perpetuating the same cycle of, of our culture that change things like i mean we had a very f iconic moment in um, in Irish media history, Sinead O'Connor, uh, if you yes, nothing compares to you, yeah, she came on to Irish uh, late night wearing a priest outfit and and then and there ostracized herself from the Irish public by naming and shaming pedophilic priests on air. This is on air and ruined her career and ostracized herself from Ireland and she was right she was vindicated 10 years later that's late night you know that's what it could be and we have these amazing moments of like and there is still there is a way to do promotion in a way that's meaningful not every episode of the late late show in Ireland has been spectacular but I mean I think we what have you're, you're speaking about is there's a certain element of uh danger or uh, sort of counterculture secret club kind of thing, or even just danger, really, that is, um, is kind of missing today um, from what we used to see in the traditional late night landscape. I totally, uh, I get it. That's why, you know, it's so funny to me that like the way that you found me was through the Ron Burgundy podcast, because that was it's just so silly it's just like it, it, it it's like ron burgundy this this established comedy character created by will and adam mckay and and like him doing a podcast that could be a million things there's a million ways that you, you could have had fun with it and you know they started it up i came on board in the in the first season late in the first season and and we just just I'm proud of those, you know, like uh, they're, they're, they're some of the funniest things I feel that I've written and um, and would people like kind of like I felt in, in the comedy community here in America, they sort of were like, oh, Will's getting paid a lot of money to do a podcast. This is, you know, and um and I don't think they really listen to it. Like I, I, people listen to it and they advertise it on the radio. People listen to it and stuff, but like, and it's, I get that maybe there's a little jealousy of Will because he's famous and he gets, he has a lot of people doing podcasts for a long time. And now celebrities have come in. And now that podcasting is a proven successful advertising uh, uh, thing. And I, and I was saying is in 2006, because I worked in radio, I said, you know, these podcasts, why don't you just put one sales guy on it? And um, it took them years, but they eventually figured it out. And now celebrities are coming in and 
there's a little bit of resentment, I think, for people who've been in the game a long time. Uh, but the actual like comedy of the Ron Burgundy podcast that we got to do be, because of, you know, we were, it's like old timey radio. It was really silly and fun. Yeah. Really, really fun. And, I've uh, actually this this reminds me. This is on Sirius XM around the time that you were on it, so you probably know what this is. Uh, but no one else I've ever spoke to knows what this is. Have you ever heard of a show, uh, just a one-off audio drama radio parody called "Still Broadcasting but Not from Space"? Do you know I what this have is? Not. That sounds really up my alley, though. It okay. You can't find it anywhere. So, uh, like I've checked. Because I listened to it when I was making, I made a, a documentary uh, around, just again for fun, um, about, about audio oh, drama. Oh, wow, cool. Yeah, and uh, about like the history of audio drama going back to, you know, Orson Welles all the way up to modern New Zealand yeah. Doctor Who. Yeah. And um, one of the things. Alan Partridge is like, it's, 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 people forget, like that was. And I think it's a thing more um, in the in the UK and I, I, like where they do comedy radio, you know, like that exists. Like <laughs> this show, uh, it has a remarkable history and fact about it, which is it is the first radio program and parody radio program because it is what it is is it takes early 2000s radio this really bombastic you know ring here to win a car and it yeah. uh brings it into uh basically there is an entire parallel society on mars um <laughs> that has, is also broadcasting and it how do you maintain the co corporate capitalist nature of radio uh, while while trying to report the fact that like uh, there's an entire 10 minute segment about how like just ads that they've made up like about like you know a pair of pants that never rips or just really stupid stuff and all of the segments were made with um email they just emailed it to each other and edited it together it was there was no fucking studio it was it was done and it's on it was on Sirius XM they were going to make a movie about it and everything like that but I I never heard I I listened to it when it was available and it's gone yeah. um and I don't know it's it, such a disposable medium sometimes where you just catch a weird thing I just watched a documentary about Joe Frank who's a radio personality uh who's like no other it's just storyteller radio and um, it can be a disposable medium, like where they just don't tape it. But I'm really curious who uh, wrote that, created that. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, and like, I understand what you mean about this jealousy thing of like, you know, Ricky Gervais can just come on and do a podcast and a lot of people listen to it. And people have been grinding in, in the space for, you know, 10 years. I've only been here for two years. I don't, but also I don't give a shit. Like uh, it's not a finite, there's no finite audience. Um, but also if, if you listened to the Ron Burgundy podcast and didn't think, Jesus Christ, what would Will Ferrell actually have to say? Jesus Christ, what, what would this segment actually be like in reality? There's an interesting question where's the nugget of truth in there actually and it's funny you're laughing why are you laughing what's up with that um and you said people from comedy didn't necessarily appreciate it i don't know i i don't know it was the i just felt like um and maybe it's just my own bringing my own personal feeling baggage to it but i just felt like people uh 
like I know, like I know how funny it was. I know how uh, much fun we had doing it. Um, but there are certain things that I've worked on where my comedy peers will all like I'll get a text or something like, "Hey, this is great," you know what I mean? And nobody really texted me like um, about, "Hey, the episode where uh, a raccoon is in the studio with Ron Burgundy." I didn't get a text about that, but like you know, um, because I don't think they heard it. You know, even though I know millions of people listen to it, just not like you know the it's you know, good five hundred it... asshole comedians in Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's good. It like the thing is, I think I think Robert Ebert said it best when if you're unfamiliar with a piece of media, what does it set out to do, and does it do it well? Yeah. And Ron Burgundy doing a silly show. Uh, with ridiculous things, it it executes. It, it it sets up its conceit and it executes. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it doesn't. Nothing has to be like compound comedy where six things are funny at once. The, a situation can just be funny. Um, yeah. The, and <laughs> the way yeah. I wrote those is just like it was like like it's like a one sentence idea to will. And, and Carolina, and I was just like, how about this? And they were like, yeah, do that one. And I think I just opened up a Microsoft Word document and they were usually about 12 to 15 pages. And I just sort of, it wasn't even in like screenplay format. It was just sort of like Ron, Carolina, you know, sound effect. And it would, they, they flew out of me. They were just so fun. Um, you know, I don't know if we'll do it again if it if it will return, um, but um, <laughs> I had a, I had a blast, and they're still out, they're out there forever, which is great. What are your thoughts on climate change? Go. Is it upsetting that you can't fly? Is it hard for you to eat chicken? Let's talk about Pete Rose. Do you ever run into that guy? Because he owes me money. What do you do about the haters? Can chickens have epilepsy? Have people ever thrown batteries or pennies at you? What is the deal with the Philly fanatic? That guy's a weirdo, right? What if they lowered you out of a spaceship? Morgana, the kissing bandit. Was she ever caught? So you hatch out of the egg, onto the field. What was that like? I'd love to see you work with Lars Van Trier. Tell me in as much detail as you can about something you knew of which once existed and now does not. Oh gosh, that once existed that now does not. Something that once existed that now does not. Wow, that's such a difficult question. Um, I'm having an emotional, uh, immediate emotional response to it. Um, let's, this is gonna. It, 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 this is a weird thing to say. It's not a weird thing to say, but um, under underground uh, films, you know, they exist today, but not in the way that they used to. Like um, there is no. And I, I think that like this could be developed and we're in a pandemic and it's weird, but it's just like the idea of like John Waters, right? Um, making multiple maniacs and renting out a church to show his weird movie. And then him sending that to New Line Cinema and, them going, that's pretty good, send us the next one. And then he makes pink flamingos. We, 
and then that becomes a midnight movie that plays for years. We, you know, we, the midnight movie doesn't exist anymore because um, there is sort of like nothing left to shock people. Like, obviously there's still in major cities, a theater playing Rocky Horror, at least every Saturday night. When I was younger, it was every Friday and Saturday night. Um, and that that makes me happy, but there is no weird like made for the midnight circuit movie anymore um, where you have to go. Like I've I've, I've 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 had this idea, which is which is a a terrible business idea, but it's just like but to make a movie, but and not release it on streaming and not release it on. DVD and you have to go experience it in a theater at midnight with other people on a Saturday night um, and like wait years because Rocky Hard didn't come out on video until like 1990 in America. Uh, they were afraid they didn't want to cut into the profits of their Friday and Saturday night screenings. <laughs> so they kept it off a of home video. Um, I think that that experience doesn't exist anymore because of just the way that movies are made like nobody's making a weird uh movie that's like you got to go see this at midnight and have the experience of seeing it with the other people at midnight um there are films in the sort of genre but you could watch them at two o'clock in the afternoon on on itunes uh or whatever it is, Apple TV or Roku or Tubi. Um, um, I, I think that that is just me being nostalgic for a, a thing from the past. I don't think we should go backwards. I like having everything <laughs> available, um, but there is a certain feeling and it is in a, a certain experience that, 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 that does, doesn't really exist. Any. Even when I go to Rocky Horror, when I've been, um today um and this is how it should be when i used to go see rocky horror when i was seven years old and my dad took me in new york city people were smoking pot in the theater you could hear the sounds of whippet canisters hitting the ground it was a little dangerous um but it was also totally safe you know in in the village in new york city now and people were saying the most obscene things and they were shouting and the touching is now rocky horror i've gone it is it's very sweet actually it's a group of teenagers and those teenagers are kept very safe you can tell that there are people who are there to watch over and make sure nobody's being a you know creep and it's just like a fun chance for them to see the movie and stay out late and be with their friends and stuff. And, and it's a very sort of um, safe space. And I think that's how it should be. Um, but I do miss sort of the grittiness and danger of like um, a midnight movie. I, 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 it, just, it doesn't exist anymore. Um, it's just something where just people, I don't know, get high and go, that's fucking weird. Could be a racer head. It, 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 you know, it's whatever it is that, you know, I think those films exist. It's the exhibition 
of them that I'm talking about. That doesn't exist anymore. Well, let me tell you, if you're looking for that sort of experience, find the next... It's, it, this is a weird thing to say to you specifically, but it's, it's what you're looking for. The next time a, a queer club is showing Rocky Horror. Yeah. Because that's what you're looking for. Um, Thank it's, you. It is counterculture. It is... Like, I don't want... I agree. Like, I don't want people... Uh, you know, 15, 16, 17-year-olds to to have to go through the weird, you know... Rocky Horror stands for a couple of things, and not all of them are good for 15, 16, 17-year-olds. Um, especially the experience that you're talking about. Because I know that. I've never personally been, but I know a lot of people who have. And it, it, yeah, fine, there's, there's fine. always a creep element of, of, of that, being involved with that, that I think uh, could be re retired. Uh, and yeah. has been retired, which is really kind of cool and amazing and shows the evolution of what was an outsider thing that is now very sort of, you know, there's that it still plays like there's a theater's closed down right now. They're remodeling the cast that's doing it. They're doing another theater until the theater gets uh, uh, remodeled in three months. They're still going. They've been doing it since 1988. And I really applaud them for like, you know, yeah, it's different seeing it in 1988 than it is and seeing it in 2022 and they want to still keep doing it so they keep it kind of it's it's still a riot and shocking and stuff but it's safe it's safe and you can get all the the gritty elements you want to with the awareness and boundaries that it needs in the way that queer people experience rocky horror yeah so there you go um but that was a brilliant answer thank you um what's your most prized my, mo my most prized physical possession. I'm a big collector. I feel like my most prized physical possession is always uh, changing. Um, I got a lot of stuff and I collect records and, you know, books and Blu-rays, DVDs and stuff. Um, but I, I will say my most prized physical possession this week is a i have a promo 45 that i just got that was sent to radio stations and it's the commercial for rock and roll high school <laughs> new world pictures it's a 45 and i don't know how many were made it's roger corman so i'm guessing less than 500 Rock and Roll High School only had so many film prints and played in different cities at different times. And and this was literally, it's just one-sided sent to the radio station, mono version, stereo version. And I had been looking for one of these for years. I tracked one down and I received that in the mail over the weekend. So that's the most prized possession, physical possession this week. Um, but ask me again next week it'll be something different because i uh i yeah i love i love my collection of stuff and you know i'm always acquiring trading and you know that's that's my answer for this week <laughs> um what do you suck at what do i suck at hmm so many things so many things uh well, in 
like in my i'm trying to think like career wise or like life wise like <laughs> there's so many ways to be sucky at something um i think i um i'll just say there's been there's been one there's one show i worked on where i was like i fucking suck at this you know i got uh paid i wrote an episode of it the episode's good but the actual process of it like this is not for me not my genre um totally lovely people they're all much better at this than i am and it is just the genre and like that i just and i i really tried and i was like i just suck at this because it, it wasn't in my heart it was like the first season of it was one thing and then the second season really became another thing and i was not good at that other thing so i uh but for 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 the most part i i think i'm a pretty capable person uh but i yeah, I sucked at that. I, I sucked. I'm not good with the superhero genre. I'm not good at it, you know? <laughs> you work on a superhero show, like, even though it's on my resume, don't call me. It's probably not for me. Unless, unless you're like, no, actually it is for you. It's all meeting dependent. I think I suck at being... My previous answers to this have been like being kind to myself. I'm really bad at that. Giving myself opportunity. I'm really bad at that. Um, but I think, I think I suck at processing my own emotions. I think I'm really bad at that. Um, and that spills into everything I do. Like the way I, I do this show and the questions that I ask, a new question that I have for this next leg of the show because I change them all the time, is how do you deal with heartbreak? Because I'm holding on to that because mm. I have no idea what to do with it. And I want someone to tell me how to deal with it. Um, and I think there's a certain amount in every creative work where we're trying to, to display a question or communicate something that we have. I think that's what art is fundamentally. Uh, it is, is either two things, My, a, a wonderful friend of mine, Morgan, uh, said that art, art can sometimes just be not being bored, yes. uh, which I love, but that for me, art is communication and it's a desperate, a desperation almost, a, 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 like I have this problem. I, I have this thought, listen to me, um, answer me. And the, the idea that basically all of that comes from the fact that like, I feel something and I don't know how to, to deal with it. So I suck at that. I, I suck. Um, and the second part of this this question, it's a two-parter, is what are you great at? And the <laughs> I'm going to give myself a compliment here and say, I'm great at finding solutions to everything that isn't that. Um, <laughs> like I made an entire show communicating with people and uh, to process that instead of developing um, some sort of you know fundamental coping mechanism, uh, I made a show instead. Um, and I, I'm good at turning my my emotions and my pain and my experience into something that I'm proud of. Um, and yeah, what are you great at? Um, I'm 
I'm great. I'm a great broadcaster. I'm a great communicator. Uh, I, uh, I have, you know, there are writers and then there are uh, entities who write. I fall under the category of an entity who writes, you know, um, which sometimes annoys other people who are just writers. Um, what I would say uh, about <clears throat> some of the things that you just said, uh, heartbreak, which uh, I think if you're lucky, everyone experiences. Uh, the, the cure for heartbreak is time. Uh, it really is the uh, only, the only thing is, is, is time. And then most importantly, being nice to yourself um, is something that, um, boy, have I uh, been on a journey with that. And it is a very, very difficult journey. And, and I feel now at 43 years old that I have gotten a lot better at being kinder to myself. And it took a lot of work um, and it is so worth it. And the, um, and there's a million things that I, I, I could tell you uh, to, to, to help you with that. Um, because the reality is, is that you, uh, just from talking to you for a couple hours here now, that you are, very good at what you do. There are people who don't know how to have a conversation that could be interesting or entertaining for another person to listen to. They just they just don't have it. You either have that or you don't. You have it. Um, so that's just some validation. Um, I would say that external validation can also be very, very dangerous and that you um, not just you, but anybody that is trying to fill their soul through external validation is um, definitely, um, they're going to hit a wall at some point with that. They're going to hit a wall with the external validation. And, you know, it, it, there's, there's a million ways to help yourself and be kinder to yourself. And, um, you know, uh, happy to talk to you about that. Um, it, it's something that I do every day is even if it's just a text or, or a brief exchanges, it's like uh, I, I communicate with someone every day and ask how they're doing and check in. And, um, and that kind of takes you out of sort of this self-centered looping thinking of, you know, or beating up on yourself. There's like, being, you have to, if you're not kind to yourself, our brains are capable of telling us just like the meanest, most untrue stuff. And you just have to kind of learn to just like go, okay, yeah, I know that this voice is here and it's not going away, but I can make it a lot quieter. Doesn't have to be as loud.
and just go like, thank you, I've heard you, and you're, uh, that's nonsense, and I'm going to continue on with my day. Just not get stuck in that loop. It's It can be tough, but I'm only, I don't know, people think you hit 18 and you're like, you're an adult. <laughs> I feel you're not, you're not. I feel, I'm, I'm 24 years old and I'm a kid, you know, I'm just, I don't know. And I want a lot of things that that I don't have, and that's bad, you know? Desire isn't intrinsically bad, but having so much desire that it kind of makes you feel inadequate is bad. Um, like I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. Um, are, you, are you familiar with Natasha Lyonne? No. no, no. Um, Natasha Lyonne has been an actress for years. Uh, she's in a million things, Slums of Beverly Hills. She does the show Russian Doll on Netflix, which is a very personal uh, show. Um, we've been friends since we were 16 years old. We had a conversation at 18 years old that if we had not accomplished X, Y, and Z by the time we turned 21 years old, that our lives were um, over. It was over for us. It was meaningless and stuff. Um, and uh, we did not accomplish X, Y, and Z before we turned 21 years old. In fact, we both got ourselves into a lot of trouble together and separately. And um, I will say that we now have accomplished X, Y, and Z. Um, it just took us about 20 years longer than we expected. And, um, and now everything's great, but you're like, okay, now what? You know what I mean? It, it, it is, um, you got to... The, 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 there's a time pressure that's put on uh, a, a person of a certain age that is, uh, especially when it comes to like art, where it's like, oh, this has to happen before this mile. And it's just like, you know, sometimes yes, sometimes usually no. Like, like what are you like talking about? You know, like, what are you like? says who like you know uh, it depends on what your you know goal thing is you know but um you know my greatest happiness has come in my um, 40s <laughs> and i think that it's gonna get worse and better and worse and better and worse and better and you just get better at learning to roll with the punches of it you know you just get better at it you just kind of go like okay have <laughs> you have you ever seen the the painting the great wave you probably have right like the, yeah. the japanese wood painting the great yes. wave. the guy who made that is a, a printmaker painter uh called hakusai who's mm -hmm. living in the 1800s um, I'm really into art. This is something that has come across, but I am a huge art history nerd. And uh, recently what I've been doing, because I've been feeling very demotivated and kind of miserable, is I've been uh, doing these little like write-ups on a different artist every day. And Great. just exploring their life and, and showing off to my friends that like, hey, there's all this art in the world that's beautiful. And even if we are not happy or I'm not happy, there is still beauty and that's in that's separate and external to me. Um, and Hakusai, at the end of his life, had accomplished so much, you know? Extremely rich, had um, had commissions from the imperial councils, had made... Um, he had some financial troubles at one point. He, you know, he 
and he had a stroke at another point his wife died all of these things but like in his career he had achieved everything that he wanted to and at the end of his life on his deathbed he said if god would only give me 10 years no no 5 years no a moment <laughs> yeah. i would be I, i would be a good painter finally <laughs> yeah no i get it i get it and i i don't put that chronological pressure on myself to achieve something by a certain age but i do hate the idea that i have to have something figured out i i'm doing a job at the present moment i've just started a job i fucking hate it and it sucks uh but i know that's not forever and i know my goals <laughs> i want to move to the us and not because of you know fame and fortune i think fame is a really negative thing for me no um, way more downsides than uh, yeah it then upsides but i want to move there because i have friends and, and i have a career in i want to have a career in creating something meaningful and that's where you do that uh and so th- that's how i want to do that but that the desires that i have then it's not a chronological pressure it's a look where i am now being here in this place kind of almost stuck and then moving into what i could be yeah and and putting my own expectations of myself and that's how i mainly not nice to myself is, is the is the expectation and i really appreciate you saying all of all of those things but i like if you found your happiness in your 40s i'm only 24 i've got a long time to do that miserable at 24 i was out of my mind miserable at 24 years old uh, i truly was um that was a those are very difficult times for me um you know and <laughs> um and then in my 30s it it sort of started to like all sort of to kind of click together and then now in my 40s i'm like uh like all right cool so this is my life and this is what my life's going to be and oh my life's getting bigger in certain ways and it might get smaller in other ways and and that's all this is all great but at 24 um like no i was nowhere near what i wanted to be doing and i was uh doing things to myself that were not healthy and bad and um like uh yeah you just uh, it's just survival and also finish things you know um um finish things like finish finish a script finish a podcast finish a whatever you know just finish even if it stinks it's done and you can move on to the next thing you know that is just and it's hard i know uh, you know it's really hard but if you like when i was cleaning out my stuff i found some scripts that are literally i have not seen these scripts i wrote them in my 20s i i'm sure they are terrible i did not have copies of these scripts i found these in my father's house going through his stuff but he passed away i brought them back i know they're bad there might be something in them that's great because i was 24 at the time and writing you know that i can't i might find something and tap into something and, and that i had at 24 that i did, don't have at 43 <laughs> um and it and i might be able to go ooh you were right here you know so finish the thing and 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 save it you just put it away you don't have to look at it or 
share it with the world. This isn't one I, I created specifically for you. I do ask everyone, uh, which is how do you feel about it? Death is something that I, uh, I, I don't dwell upon too much. Um, it's part of the deal. Not really afraid of it. Um, not looking for it to happen anytime soon. Um, really would like to stick around as long as possible, I think. Um, but if I get to a certain point, God forbid, with my health, much, much later from now, <laughs> and things are unpleasant, please fucking, you know, I'm not like, take me out. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I don't want to be in in the scariest thing to me i think and it's it's recent is is like like the last week of my dad's life i think was like really weird for him because he knew he was going to die and he couldn't really communicate anymore he was home thank goodness and he was with people who loved him and stuff and he wasn't in pain miraculously but he was somewhere else man and um he was he, he was there but he was also somewhere else and i think i would like to avoid whatever that in between is uh as much as possible uh, uh, you you have to watch the midnight gospel on netflix you have okay. to um it is there's an episode which deals with that exact thing okay and uh it's by duncan trussell animated by pendleton ward the guy who, who would, oh sure yeah yeah um, really, not every episode is a banger, but it's the reason why I'm doing this. And uh, you have to watch it because that in between. The crazy thing about Netflix is like, I didn't know Duncan had a show. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I know Duncan, you know, not, not very well, but socially, you know, and like, I, I like Duncan, but like, it's like, there's so many fucking things out. Like, <laughs> what? Duncan has a Netflix? Okay. It, it sounds, I'll check that out. Yeah, like I've listened to some of the episodes of the show and like not every episode for uh, in like the actual podcast that he had and not every episode is for me specifically, but they've curated a very good selection and then animated it in a way that's very beautiful and meaningful and the conceit of that's the show super is cool. really good. And there's an episode um, which deals with with death uh, and that that it answers the question of like, the moment uh, I don't know if your father experienced this, but on the the episode, and I won't spoil too much because I do want you to watch it. Is the a moment of lucidity? The, uh, like when you're dying, you have that moment of lucidity. I, I was unfortunate enough to lose my grandfather, who I was I was particularly close with earlier on this year, um, and yeah. there was. I had a memory, a couple of weeks before he died, I went in and I talked to him. And, and the one thing we always talk about is politics. Not in like a, that sounds very bad in an American context. My grandfather was very interested in world events and just wanted to be told what was going on. And um, he, I had a wonderful interaction with him where I, I, I got the last great conversation I would have. And I didn't see him until the day he died. I didn't see him in the interim two weeks when he began to decline. And, and my brother was telling me there was at one point he was with him and he was asking him questions and he was saying goodbye because my grandfather couldn't open his eyes or couldn't move or anything mm -hmm. like that. 
and my grandfather had wiggled his toes. Wow. That's... And hearing hearing that where your your father was not there but but was there, you know, um, I I know what you mean you might want to avoid that, but maybe maybe for the people that you leave behind that moment could be so good and wonderful. Totally get yeah, totally get that. Totally understand yeah. that. Um, yeah, I interrupted you anyway. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, you didn't. You asked a question. I gave you an answer. And... Uh. TV recommendation that sounds good. <laughs> uh, the the next question is: If you were on a starship, what position would you hold? I would I would hope I would be a commander of the starship. I it's like I don't want to. I mean, I have zero experience, but that's the coolest chair, right? Like, like this is a fantastical insane idea to be on a starship in the uh, first place unless it, well if it was jefferson starship i'd probably feel most comfortable playing um uh rhythm guitar but on a starship like um uh i think yeah man let me i'll fucking run it if you could give just one piece of advice what would that be <laughs> my instinct is to quote spinal tap and just go have a good time all the time <laughs> that's my answer Marty. <laughs> um if i give one piece of advice um calm down just like in general just calm down like fucking like, do you do you do you need to do you need to say send that tweet? Do you need to weigh in? Do you need to um, read that news article that's going to make you angry? Do you need to freak out that this is not taken care of um, in your apartment or this isn't crossed off your to-do list for the week, you know, today? Just calm down. If I were to ask you what your philosophy of life or your creed, what would that be? Have a good time all the time. That's my philosophy, Marty. All the time. Philosophy of life. All the time. Philosophy of life, creed, have a good time.